You are listening to a White Phosphorus Pictures podcast. Broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico, I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Off to the Witch newsletter number 12. And um, for those of you who are just beginning to listen to this podcast, the newsletter is an alternate week. Um, Every other week I have a guest and a theme, and that's the normal Off to the Witch episode. It was sometime over the summer that I decided to... um, invent these newsletter weeks because I have so much on my plate right now. I'm working on multiple uh, television and movie projects and other kinds of things on the side, and there is just not enough time to set up a regular episode on a weekly basis. So I didn't want to leave you empty-handed, and I made sure on the alternate weeks, the so-called off weeks, that I have something to say. And uh, it's a little bit more of a free-form show, off to the which usually for my regular listeners is uh, a bit more structured. There's a story and a theme that leads us through and a conversation with a guest about a very specific subject matter that they experienced or they know a lot about. But in the case of the newsletter, I talk about a variety of things, including what I'm working on. And um, in this newsletter in particular, You know, I always refer to the Twilight Zone in a lot of this work. It's a huge influence on my life. That show blew my mind as a kid, and his story, Rod Serling's story, all of the writers that contributed, including Richard Matheson, to the Twilight Zone, it's a constant influence on me uh, for good reason. And, you know, I loved movie makers like George Romero growing up, but also before Romero uh, ever made a film, there was Rod Serling, and he was commenting on the world around him through fiction, or perhaps uh, premonition. And a good deal of that premonition came true. And if we look back in hindsight, like I've said many times before, that many of the science fiction writers and writers of fiction and movie makers of fiction, like George Romero, seem to somehow channel and predict things. So as a child, uh, perhaps subconsciously, I realized that a lot of these stories were commenting on the world. Uh, Rod Serling fought in World War II. He had a lot of life experience, and the Twilight Zone was partially forged out of his experiences in life. He was reflecting on the past. And You don't need to be uh, psychic specifically to predict the future. Probability is an incredible thing. Looking back at history, the way patterns happen and repeat. I truly consider a lot of science fiction writers or writers of horror, however you want to look at it, fiction writers, as prophets. They channel things. They figure things out. And this is quite evident 
in well over a century of fiction, predating the 20th century even with H.G. Wells, Jules Verne. You know, all writers from there on seem to channel something of the future. You can list umpteenth things that came true. Let's just start with H.G. Wells, for instance. Everything from the island of Dr. Moreau, uh, considerably even War of the Worlds, in some aspect, has come true. All adhering to the shape of things to come in so many ways. You know, it was just before the pandemic that I pitched a show, uh, and it was getting greenlit, and it was called Things to Come. I would have would have been another series that I was hosting. And it was me specifically looking at these aspects it was things that the prophets of science fiction have talked about well before they ever came to fruition in our reality. And it makes you question things. Quantum sciences and philosophies are now understanding that there are multiple dimensions and multiple realities. Is it that we are somehow connected to these other realities and we're experiencing them? So if you consider everything from H.G. Wells to Philip K. Dick to George Romero, a lot of these things have come true. So we're not exactly sure whether or not these are truly prophetic visions or just incredible imagination that informed engineers and scientists and inventors to bring these things into reality. I happen to think, after many years of contemplating this, that I'm leaning towards the fact that we are picking up on things, that we predict things. Think about it. How, how is it possible that Mary Shelley, when she was 19 years old, saw the future, saw the idea of abomination through um, genetic manipulation, through revival of dead tissue, things that I am positive people are trying? How is it that H.G. Wells in the island of Dr. Moreau saw genetic engineering at that time? that he just decided to come up with this. This was, this was a vision. This was a vision of a technological future, possibilities of the future and a warning. And why are these warnings given? And so I think that we're on the precipice of a very profound year ahead of us or years ahead of us. It seems to be the apex of all of these things coming true. Now, if we look at this past year or the past few years, there's a good deal of science fiction, those warnings now in our face coming to fruition in so many ways. I've brought it up time and time again, and it is the running theme of this show. It's that borderline between fiction and reality. But what's up ahead? Well, I guess if we were to look at science fiction and declare that those authors, those inventors, or those imagineers, those people that write the stories are predicting the future, are channeling warnings, you know, these, these prophetic visions are here to kind of teach us uh, and give us an idea of what we should and should not do. Yes, it would be wonderful if medical technology continues exponentially. Let's think about this for a second. So artificial intelligence can figure things out in minutes that human beings couldn't do in a decade. If you were just to estimate what the results of that will be, you can take into consideration that many diseases are going to be cured. Artificial intelligence can be a wonderful thing. But there's the other thing. There are the warnings that have been given to us. Everything from Philip K. Dick to Jim Cameron to George Romero. Um, these weren't just social commentaries. I believe they were prophetic warnings. 
And all of that is possible too. I think it's altogether fascinating and terrifying. And I, um, I'm an optimist. I try to look at the future as another opportunity to fix things, to do better. Because I can imagine what that is. And in the grand scheme of things, to me, it seems like somewhat of an easy fix. It's just about the decisions of humans. And just like in Serling's warnings or in George Romero's warnings, they both frowned upon the leadership. Okay, we've got the wrong people in office. And I mean around the world. We need to stop putting the wrong people for the wrong reasons in office. I could never understand anybody voting for someone because of the way they looked, whether it be something that they didn't like or something that they liked. If you are going to vote for a leader in this world, if you're going to put people up in that position to lead something so important as to guard you, as to make decisions that are only going to either further you or destroy you, you need that's a crucial decision. And currently right now, we have a lot of villains that are leading the world. This is once again has been predicted in, in all of this fiction. And if you go back and, and do your own research, you'll find out that this has been talked about constantly. And so if you look at, you know, the mighty Stephen King, or if you look at uh, Rod Serling, they weren't very fond of leadership. What is it about a, about a position of power that a man thirsts for, or anybody for that matter? You know, people being put in these leadership positions, for the most part, haven't been the right people. And if you can imagine a better world where we celebrate incredible ideas, inventions, the furthering, our greatest achievements, our potential, in unison, what I think would happen, just like the opposite when you have a, a horrible leader who doesn't care about the people, is that it, it starts to bring everything down into the proverbial mud. But when you have a great leader, it elevates people's consciousness. They feel safe to live in the world that this person can imagine a better future for yourself and the generations to come, that we're doing right by our species and, and others around the world. Unfortunately, in recent years, we have been brought to a place where our imagination has been depleted. It's that you've had the wrong people paraded in front of you. And I don't just mean leadership, I also mean in culture. What that does is covertly starts to deplete your imagination of what a better world can be, of what the greatest of it all, whether it be music, motion pictures, achievements in, in athletics, um, achievements in science, in invention, I can imagine what the apex of that is. And I think if, if consciously the rest of the world in unison can get together and start imagining what that is, we will make it so one way or another. But you cannot accept what you were given. And so the theme of this newsletter is a question. We're at a crossroads. Which way are we going? Are we deciding to take the apocalyptic vision of either George Romero or Jim Cameron, which I love those movies, but I sit in the comfort of uh, either the movie theater or my living room and watch these things and enjoy the artistry of it all and the power of it all and the message of it. But I certainly don't want to live in that world. We're pretty close to living in that world. 
And once you get there, you're going to wish it didn't happen. It's an odd effect that a motion picture has. You can associate and say, well, you know, hey, I love Blade Runner and I love the Terminator and how cool it would be to exist in that world. But when the danger comes to your door and when you're now fighting for your life, I mean, Day of the Dead is one of my favorite movies, George Romero's apocalyptic vision, well, post-apocalyptic vision. It's one of the grimmest realities you can imagine. Being locked in, inside the deep cavernous uh, you know, sub-levels of a military base, the dead have risen from the grave. There's nothing left. George Romero's Day of the Dead is one of the greatest movies ever made. It's one of my favorite films. The reason why I say this is um, I truly think it's one of these warnings that I'm talking about. It's this prophetic vision. It was George making a commentary on the 1980s Cold War and the Reagan administration and his perspective on that. But I think sometimes, I think more often than not, a lot of writers don't, if they are prophets, if they truly are channeling these things from some possible future, they don't fully realize it. I know when I'm writing, and I'm writing a horror film right now, uh, another draft of it, is that it almost seems like these things are being channeled. Uh, these incredible ideas are coming into my brain, and they're all original, and, and, and these characters are being invented, and there's a message there, but I might not fully grasp it yet. I might realize it later that I'm, I'm, I'm downloading something, that a message is coming from elsewhere, where I can't really tell you. But are we getting warnings from another place? Is this entire last century plus of science fiction a warning for human beings? Could it be some extraterrestrial intelligence? And George Romero had something to say about the isolation uh, of people holding on at the end of the world, holding on to something that didn't work. I think that was truly the message of it all, is that George saw this system as something that simply did not work and that it needed to change. Um, there's some fantastic moments in that movie. And it's yes, it's a bleak vision, but it has this beautiful heart at its center. And as gruesome as the movie can be, it has an incredible message. And the idea is that we can start fresh, and that we can start anew. And so I see this forthcoming year as this turning point where we truly are at a crossroads. And in this newsletter, I will go over some of the ideas of these um, prophetic futures that we could exist in, that we're existing in now, and that perhaps we have an opportunity to change the path of it either going down the road of pure despair or that we can enter this new age of enlightenment, which is what I can imagine and that many of you can imagine. And so if you look at a motion picture like Day of the Dead, um, people are at their wit's end. They have nothing left to give. They're all holed up inside this government facility with the living dead walking around and no survivors in sight to what once was. We're holding on to what once was and we need to let go of it. And I think that could be the message going into this new year is that if there's a certain structure to your life and ideas that you had that are simply not working, that it's okay to start fresh. It's okay to start with new ideas, even if it's a similar dream, just with a new approach. Um, because we have this currently, you know, I know it's, um, it's our natural propensity 
to kind of ignore what's going on around us, but it doesn't look too good. Um, we are currently in the hands of leaders who, from my observation, and um, you know, I function from a place of clarity, I don't believe that they have our best interest in mind. I think there are people out there that do and that they perhaps aspire to be leaders, but we don't have that right now. And um, all I see is a bunch of arguments and infighting. And that is represented in a lot of movies, but in George Romero's Day of the Dead. And we do not want that future. But perhaps we need it sometimes. Sometimes I feel like we might need it as a wake-up call. And that if three years ago in 2020, that wasn't a wake-up call enough for people, that we need it again. So 2024, if I were to predict, just based off of probability, my observation on prophetic visions of fiction and science fiction over the years, over the last century at the very least, and where we are right now, just observing where we are, I truly believe that 2024 is an incredible turning point for all of us. Now, in the midst of everything, we do have the possibility that we can completely implode and that things change and that there are revolutions happening and that our safety changes, our environment changes. You know, everything, all of your worst fears come true, that our power grids go down, for whether it be some kind of electromagnetic pulse coming from the sun or a rival country blowing it up over their silly arguments that affect us all. Um, whatever it is, we've been warned. A movie that only came out, I think, two years previous to uh, George Romero's Day of the Dead was a motion picture directed by Nicholas Meyer called The Day After. And it was in the midst of the Cold War. And in that motion picture, it was very accurate to the time. We were all on the edge of nuclear destruction. It was this close. Over the arguments of several men in different countries, it would have destroyed the world. We cannot be that vulnerable, but we were, and we have been many times. And so in that motion picture, it is a vision, okay, of what it would be like if let's say Russia, the United States, China, everybody launched their nukes at each other. And it was from the perspective of Kansas City, where a lot of the uh, nuclear warheads and missiles were stored underneath the ground and they were ready to be launched at any second. And so it was judged that, and they didn't know who launched first, but the missiles were coming. And some people were in denial. Some people just wanted to go on with their wedding plans and other things they were doing. And other people realized what was going to happen next and that it was really happening. See, I think if the apocalypse comes in one form or another, most of us are going to be in denial until it's right in our face and it's too late. And some people believe that's where we are right now. We're in that denial phase, right on the precipice of it really happening. And trust me, you don't want it to happen. And so in the day after, it happens. And uh, it's one of the bleakest endings ever. But the positive thing that came from that, and this is the power of cinema, this is how cinema can truly change things, is that not only did the Reagan administration watch the movie, 
But the rest of the world watched the movie. Gorbachev over in Russia watched the movie. It was shown all over. And Reagan later came to Nicholas Meyer and said, you know, I just want you to know, I'm paraphrasing, but this is, he said something to the measure of, I want to let you know your movie changed things, changed the course of their ideas, that perhaps we would have seen nuclear disaster if it wasn't for a movie like that, put it in perspective for everybody. Now, this raises questions for me, is that how in the hell could we let people run the world who don't realize how bad this could get? There are those who say that this quiet town holds many secrets. Legend has it that beneath this very tower, a dark force had its eyes set on the children. We were told that what was going on there was for the benefit of humanity. What would you say to the people who say, well, all these children were kidnapped and murdered and you were a part of it. What would you tell them? You I tell did them? approve of it, but there was nothing I could do about it. They wanted a large number of programmed boys to be used for mind control operations. And there are others who say it's still happening to this day. I don't know, I for myself find it a little suspicious that all the evidence has been conveniently destroyed. Let's put it this way. If you're sitting there with 20 guns pointed at you, what are you going to do? Whatever the hell they want! Watch Montauk Chronicles now for free on Tubi, Plex, Roku, and available for download on Amazon and Apple TV. He created the most frightening film ever made. Then, he took his unique vision of terror one step further. Now, George A. Romero takes us out of the night, beyond the dawn, and into the darkest day of horror the world has ever known. Day of the Dead. There have to be survivors in Washington. Oh, my. They have more sophisticated shelters than this one. Oh, there have to be people in those shelters who know about us, who know where we are. With no radio contact, they'll come looking for us. I said shut up! They can be tricked into being good little girls and boys. The same way we were tricked into it. On the promise of some reward to come. What the fuck is wrong with you people? They're dead! They're fucking dead, and you want to teach them tricks? They have to be rewarded, Captain. Why else will they do what we want them to do? I don't want them to do anything but drop Those are my men! 
run, you fucking lunatics. George A. Romero's Day of the Dead, the most eagerly awaited day in horror film history. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine. astonishes me and scares me and baffles me and if I hadn't experienced a lot of different kinds of life whether it be beautiful or terrifying and horrible I would be in shock right now but I'm not unfortunately this is the card that's been dealt to us but can we change it I think we can but collectively we need to elevate our consciousness for that we need to elevate our intellect and also we need to raise the bar for what we require um, otherwise it can end up that way and there are many visions of the future, things that uh, might change us, things that um, might absorb us. The matrix being one of them is that, is it possible that technology can be so good at replicating um, reality that we're going to be absorbed by it? that the world around us might eventually be ran by machines and we're just going to fall into this artificial dream. A lot of people believe we're already in it. But as virtual reality and its technology and its display gets exponentially better, we will be absorbed by these things. I would say within the next five years, we're going to see an increase in usage of um, virtual reality and alternate reality devices they're getting smaller and i think that was the key because they they were fantastic as the illusion they were creating five years ago and so where it is now is that the actual visors and devices are going to get smaller and we're going to become more tempted by it when it gets to the point where it's a deep sensory experience where you literally cannot tell the difference between the virtual world and this world is where it's going to get scary it's because a lot of people are going to choose that virtual world. And once again, I want to go over the pros and cons of these things because in many ways, could it solve crime? I've read many stories where people have suggested that it could. For instance, if people have this kind of um, neurological propensity for crime, they just can't stop. Or any kind of act that would disrupt uh, a society is that the criminal could go inside the world and just live within that world, that they would be placated by it. Um, in other science fiction stories, there was a, a virtual sentence. In other words, just like in the Matrix itself, that the subject would be living deep inside the reality that's generated in that world and that they wouldn't interact with us. So it would be somewhat of a mental prison, but it would placate the prisoner. In other words, that prisoner could be living the greatest life inside the matrix 
and uh, wouldn't interfere with us because they have this natural propensity to kill or steal or destroy or rob or do whatever, right? And there's a lot of reasons why people do that. Sometimes it's out of desperation. Sometimes it's a genetic disorder in the brain. Sometimes it's under the influence. But could those things be corrected by a, a virtual system? In other words, you know, why would you, why would you feel so low as to kill the pain that you have because of a lack of things if you can have anything? And that's an interesting question. If you were offered anything and you could get anything at, at your access in this matrix world, would it cure crime? I don't know the answers to these things, but they're quite interesting to me. I don't think these things are all bad because if you're able to sit here and imagine how horrible uh, and what the detriments would be, you have to also imagine what the um, positive things could be. And like I said earlier, you know, artificial intelligence isn't just something to fear. It's something to use. It's something to uh, help us move forward if you can control it. If we can't control it, and somehow it comes to realization that, and it sees us that we're insignificant and wants to take over, it will. Because again, this has all been prophesized, and we should really truly look into science fiction and see the warnings. Certain science fiction stories over the years that are on the verge of coming true, and many have, and, and, and at least in their infancy stage, at the very least, a good deal of these stories have come true to show us enough evidence that they will come to fruition as we've read them, maybe even more so. And so going into this next year, I, I would say truly keep an open mind uh, and don't be shocked for whatever comes because you're going to see things in 2024. This won't be a mediocre year. There's not a chance of it. I, we've come too far and too many things have happened uh, that it's highly probable that we're going to see some incredible things happen next year, and not all of them are going to be good. But our futures are worth fighting for. And I think if we look through fiction and we look through science fiction, we can see a roadmap and things to avoid. But we have to desire more. We, we have to want these things to change, and not only for the world, but within us as well. We have to make corrections to ourselves. And, um, you know, if you look at visions of the future, let's say George Orwell's 1984. A lot of people believe that we're on the precipice of 1984 becoming a true reality in many cases. Why do they believe this? Well, they feel like, and if you've read 1984 or even saw the movie that was made as an adaptation of 1984, you might agree with them. Because many times in the past, we were at least able to object to something without it condemning you. You have the right to object. You have the right to disagree. These are things that have been set forward for most of the world. And let's say a villain comes into play. Most likely, that villain is not going to approach you directly as a villain. That happens in some cases, but... If a villain wanted to infiltrate your house and be accepted, they're going to learn about you. They're going to figure out what makes you tick 
and they're going to find out what your sensibilities are and what you respond to. So if that villain says just the right things to you, you're going to trust that person, and they know that. And so I think that's similar to what we're experiencing right now. There are a lot of world leaders that, to me, are blatant villains. I can see right through them. But to a lot of people, they're saying the right things, and somehow they've won the trust of these people. But if you truly pay attention to what they're doing, they're not coming through with anything they told you they'd come through with. And this is, to me, most politicians. It's just my personal perspective. But um, I can imagine a better world. I can imagine a much better scenario. So in 1984, what you have is, is the epitome of that. You have a society that's completely brainwashed, that does anything the leaders tell them to do, and whatever the leaders tell them what's good or bad for them, it's simply accepted. And anyone that goes against it is condemned. Does this sound familiar to you? You cannot condemn a human being because they disagree with the way you think. That's what makes our society what it is. The ability to disagree without violent conflict. That's what makes a better world the way it is. If you disagree and you can debate about it, but it can't end in violent conflict because you disagreed. It can't end with you having your job taken away because you disagree. It can't end with you being ostracized because you disagree. You have the right to disagree and you have a right to state your case or remain silent. And if we have these things taken away, we're getting very close to George Orwell's 1984. And Orwell warned the world of what it could be if we allowed one man okay, or a few people to tell you what to do, to how to think. I am someone who was born with the ability to resist that immediately. And I can see when people are, when people are taking advantage in that way. Um, again, you know, uh, maybe it's uh, traditional storytelling that has trained most people to think a villain is very obvious and I just don't see a villain. I see someone who's telling me all the right things, so I must believe them. The greatest trick that the devil played was to convince the world that he did not exist. That is the epitome of villainy. I think that that, that phrase, that saying, shows you what a true villain is. That He's convincing you he does not exist. The veil has been pulled over your eyes, and you do not see the true corruption that's around us. And once again, so going into 2024, could we end up like George Romero's Day of the Dead? Could we end up like George Orwell's 1984? Could we end up like Jim Cameron's The Terminator? And we're certainly already entering... The territory of Philip K. Dick. I mean, all of the technology that's been uh, talked about in, in Philip K. Dick's most paranoid novels are coming to fruition. We are here on the precipice of watching all of this fiction come to fruition. It's, it's, it's glorious in many ways as somebody who has admired these stories all the time that now we're actually going to be living in that world. So in Carl Sagan's final book, there's a passage where Sagan was basically explaining that when times, when we get into tumultuous times, that there's going to be um, an extreme deluge of people 
who believe in the mystic, who turn away from science and start adhering to the mystical again, start turning to crystals, start looking to vibrations and ideas. And Sagan was a deep thinker. And I don't think he necessarily meant that all of this is hocus pocus. I don't believe that either. But what I think he was warning us of was that we shouldn't turn from science because science truly is on the precipice of exploring what these things are. And I believe that quantum sciences are starting to reveal things to us. I believe that science itself can start to take readings and find the things that everyone claims to be seeing, uh, whether it be a dog man, a Bigfoot, or a ghost, or some kind of evil entity. I think science will be able to analyze these things, and so we shouldn't just simply focus on the incident or story after story of what these elaborate things are because I love storytelling. It's one of my favorite things. And fiction is perhaps the most glorious format of storytelling. Because um, once again, you know, fiction is, is, is part prophetic vision. It's part imagination, whatever that really is, right? It's part dreams and ideas, inspiration, all of these things in one. And sometimes I hear these stories from people that they claim they've seen these extraordinary things and the stories are pretty horrible. I don't know if it's the storyteller or the story itself, but um, fiction is such an incredible thing. It's, um, it really has shaped our world throughout history. Fiction inspires, blows people away, um, allows people to self-reflect. And I would say if you're truly interested in, in learning about what might happen Dive back into fiction. Dive back into science fiction and horror ideas. Every, like I said, um, you know, Stephen King has incredible warnings up ahead. Um, his book *Cell*, for instance, or *The Stand*, are incredible warnings of what might happen in the future. I mean, there are parts of *The Stand* that's already happened, and when a leader, um, a so-called leader, stands in front of us with a smile and tells us there's going to be more of this, ha, 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 uh, we shouldn't be trusting that leader. That's a villain right out of a Stephen King novel. And so going forward into this future, I would say be prepared. Be prepared for what was on the page and screen to jump right into your life, whether it be because of what Carl Sagan was suggesting, that people were going to turn to the mystic, and if people turn to the mystic, then they're going to be more comfortable talking about it, or... It's that uh, science is going to start to show you that a lot of these things are real in their own right. Multi-dimensions, apparitions from some other place, the idea of evil, the idea of intelligent extraterrestrial life coming to this planet. You know, even if you look back in history, it's science once again and archaeology is, is declaring that the Egyptian structures are much older than we thought. So we're going to start to learn that our history isn't exactly what we've learned. That's for sure. And I would say, you know, I have a tendency to lean towards the most credible witnesses because they have a lot to lose. When Edgar Mitchell was coming out talking about our extraterrestrial contact, he was an Apollo mission uh, moonwalker. He was a scientist. 
He had a lot to lose. He had already established his life and career, and I would say that's a man to listen to. There are so many people throughout history, whether it be somebody saw a ghost or they're insisting that there's extraterrestrial beings that have already met with leaders of the world throughout history. I would say listen to them, and I would say seek out who they are. Or if it's um, some kind of conspiracy being told by somebody like, for instance, um, Alan Hornblum, who wrote Acres of Skin. You know, if it wasn't for someone like that, some of these experiments would still be considered as a crazy conspiracy theory. And who else, who better than to cover up conspiracies and put out a statement in the consciousness of people that anyone who tells a conspiracy is a nut than the people trying to conceal it? Trust me, it's an old trick, and it's being played on you, and it's being played on the world. So here we are at the precipice of a new year. Now, I guess I want to say a few words of positivity. I'm not sure what movie or if how many of them we're actually going to be living next year. Um, I hope that whatever the next stage is, we can all collectively imagine the greatest of it. No matter what's happened to us, and no matter what will happen, I will not change my path. I mean, unless it gets so horribly destructive that we have no choice but to. But however, whatever shock and awe comes before our eyes, I would say stick to your path. And whatever your path is, to continue to evolve, to become a better person, to fight for the dream that you have. And fight for the dream of the world because most of us are willing to work together in that dream. And you have to be able to imagine what that world is. If we can all collectively imagine what that world is, we will make it so. Imagine what better leaders are. Certainly don't vote for someone just because it's fashionable or just because it's part of your party or whatever. It's cultish ways of thinking. Don't ever just adhere to one person and make them your leader just because they are. You have to do what's best for you and the people around you and your loved ones. And that is the greatest advice I can give. I practice what I preach. I wish you all the greatest in this coming year. And a lot of us are going to see some incredible things happen, some extraordinary and frightening things happen throughout the year. And just be prepared and do not lose grasp of what your dream is. So I have to get back to work. And I will see you next time. Take care.